You are listening to the Paranormal Chronicles radio show. Here is your host, paranormal researcher and author of the best-selling A Most Hunted House, Gavin Lee Davis. Welcome, my name is JL Davis and I am the founder of theparanormalchronicles.com and author of the international best-selling haunted horror of Haverford West. I have a blockbuster of a show for you tonight. Thank you for joining us. We are broadcasting from beautiful Pembrokeshire, West Wales, bringing the paranormal world to Pembrokeshire and the paranormal world of Pembrokeshire to our global audience. This series is brought to you by sick-books.com. Sick-books publishes a huge wealth of books on the paranormal, spiritual and the unknown. Visit sick-books.com and get reading. Thank you to our huge and ever-growing audience and thank you to everyone that follows. And remember... One lucky follower is chosen at random each month to win a cool paranormal book. That's right, simply follow. Enjoy Pembroke's number one paranormal podcast featuring some of the greatest guests on the planet and you could win a book. So follow now. Press it. Who knows what will happen? I have a great on-location report coming soon, plus new interviews already recorded. And please feel free to download and listen to our incredible archive of paranormal content. If you have a story, theory, or experience you would like to share, then contact us via Facebook or Instagram at The Paranormal Chronicles, tweet at Paracron, or email paranormalchronicles at aol.com. I love hearing from you. As a quick aside, I received an email from Helen Boswell, believing you heard a strange voice in the background of one of my previous interviews. Please, could you tell me which one? Check your email and get back to me as soon as you can. And if anyone knows which episode Helen is on about, then let me know. Thank you. On tonight's show. Has the afterlife reality been proven? What awaits us once we die? What is really going on with imaginary friends? And which faith is the most paranormal on the planet? Joining me from California is Mr. Stafford Betty. Stafford Betty earned his PhD in theology from Fordham University and teaches religious studies at California State University in Bakersfield and has gradually evolved into the world expert on afterlife studies. Originally a specialist in Asian religious thought and the philosophy of religion, he branched out into paranormal research. Stafford Betty is the author of a humongous bestseller that is The Afterlife Unveiled, Ghost Boy and The War for Islam. This is an incredible interview from a respected academic that will blow your mind as this is based on research that many will find comforting, compelling and certainly life-changing. On with the show. Even though The Afterlife Unveiled has sold tens of thousands of copies and is revered as a go-to book on the subject, not everyone gives much thought to The Afterlife. Why do you think this is and why have you given so much thought to this? Enough thought to write three books on the subject. That's a very rich and complicated question. First of all, why do most people seem not to be concerned about the afterlife? I think most people assume that there's no way to know about it. <laughs> Certainly, it's, it's not widely regarded as, uh, as a subject about which there can be much said. I believe that's the reason. I, I think there may be a natural fear of it on the part of many people who are leading messy or bad or unfulfilled lives who feel that they would be unworthy of anything like the afterlife that the religions of the world seem to indicate uh, are realities. They may fear it. They may not. They would perhaps prefer extinction because that would be less fearful. That's one of the reasons. That's another of the reasons I would think that uh, some people 
just don't want to look at the subject. Just generally, I think that the afterlife scenarios of the world's religions are, are not, a, not particularly attractive. Sometimes Christians talk of heaven as seeming a little boring. And in fact, yeah. if you look at the, yeah. the book of Revelation, you might come to that conclusion justifiably. So there are reasons for this. Now, why do I uh, give so much thought to the afterlife? And I would put it this way. This life here on the planet is short and the world to come promises to be a much of much longer duration and it seems logical that we would want to prepare for it to be ready for it to take it seriously maybe this goes back to my early catholic upbringing from all those nuns at saint mary's who were telling me that eternity is a long time and you better be ready for it and this is a short or this is a short life here uh, so maybe maybe that stayed with me a little bit but it does seem to me to be a logical thing to do a few years ago i uh, I took a walking tour in uh, in the north of England with my wife. We had a great time. Before going over there, it was natural for me to do a lot of research on it. I wanted to know what uh, I was in for. And so mm. I did all the research I possibly could. Well, isn't it amazing that we do so little research for that trip that we all know we're going to take? It seems yeah. to me to be illogical that we would be uninterested in our future beyond this planet. So from a point of view of logic, you know, it seems to me to be a, a very natural thing to be extremely curious about what awaits us after what we call death. Most definitely. And as you said, the major religions of the world have quite a bit to say about the afterlife. What do you think about their accounts? To me, they seem imagined. They seem to be dreamed up. They don't seem to come from an actual experience of it. There may be one or two exceptions. The Tibetan Book of the Dead uh, is one of those possible exceptions, though I don't think that the Tibetan Book of the Dead is by any means uh, a completely trustworthy uh, revelation. Nevertheless, it comes closest of all of the ones I've read. But when you talk, uh, again, about the Book of Revelation, and you, you, you're not going to, to see something that, that looks particularly palatable, that looks particularly plausible. It looks very much like what it is claimed to be. It's the dream of an individual, a Christian who was on the Isle of Patmos. He had this very extended dream. He writes it up, and the rest of the world, for all time, takes it seriously as something that we can trust. Well, isn't that a little bit strange? One dream from some unknown John of Patmos. This is not, incidentally, uh, the evangelist John who wrote the fourth gospel, though some Christians think it is, we know it's not. So again, I, I don't I don't give much credence to the to that account, nor do I give much credence to the typical descriptions that we get in Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam even I'm even more dubious about about that. Judaism doesn't typically have much to say about it. The religions of the world either don't say much or they don't say things that are very attractive or they don't see, and for the most part, they don't say things that are very plausible to me. So The Afterlife Unveiled, that's the book, that's the major book, was published in 2011. It's right. an all-time bestseller. A lot of people will be listening tonight will, will already know of you. And if they don't know of you, they will certainly be going to read your book after because it puts everything together, right? So how do you account for the popularity of The Afterlife Unveiled and its endurance? Now, a lot of people, we've heard you talk about the major religions of the world and their interpretation of the afterlife. Could you tell us a little about what's inside the book? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm just going to read to you the the opening two sentences, and it. I think the book is simply written. I think it's written for a popular audience, and the popularity uh, of the style makes it attractive to just ordinary people, all kinds of people. This is the way the book starts out. 
you're about to become acquainted with some of the most interesting literature on the planet that most educated people know nothing about. It would appear that the primary authors are people referred to as dead. Their collaborators are known as mediums or channels. And so it goes on in that manner. The book is a kind of anthology. It's a collection of seven different channels or shall we say spirits speaking through mediums about the world that they find themselves in right now. Six of those seven individuals, these are deceased people who've lived on the planet, are identifiable. We know who they are. We know a little bit about their history. It's interesting to look at that history and then to think about where they are right now and wonder what the connection is. Is there a logical connection? Is there a karmic connection and so forth? But they are the seventh, incidentally, is a person whom we don't know the identity of who lived on the planet maybe 150 years ago. What's fascinating about this is that we have seven different points of view. This is extremely important. Most books that allege to be about the afterlife come from one point of view. And I've read any number of these, dozens of those accounts, and they're great. But to have any kind of confidence that we're dealing with something that is universally trustable rather than someone's rather eccentric point of view or dream or imagining, you need to look at a number of accounts and then compare them to see if they seem to be talking about the same thing or are they just some individual's dream that they take seriously. So that's what I do. We look at seven distinct accounts. Uh, Each of these accounts is filled with quotations. Each of these accounts is based on a book-length revelation written by the medium with the spirit speaking through him or her. So these are mediumistic accounts written by spirits working through mediums, book-length. And what I do is to consolidate the book-length account into a chapter, and there's seven of these chapters, and then there's a concluding chapter at the end. That's what the, that's how it works, uh, Gavin. So the seven channels, the seven mediums, they're uh, all totally unrelated? They don't know of each other. They didn't know uh, of each other, if that's what you're getting at. They, yeah. Not all of them are British. A couple of them are, are, are Americans. We know that mediums come from all over the world. The ones I take seriously, because they have given the most prolific accounts, are those from Britain and from the United States. There are a couple of uh, from France. There are quite a few from Brazil, interestingly, and the reasons for that. But for the most part, they do come from Western Europe and from North America. And it would be great if we had accounts as vividly and as completely uh, described from other areas of the world. I would love to see them from China, from Japan, from Russia, from South America, from Australia. We just don't, from India in particular, we don't have many sources from these other countries. And that is, uh, I think, the the, the major, I, I don't know, weakness of this approach to getting at the actual nature of the afterworld. But nevertheless, we have to work with what we have, and what we do have is incredibly interesting and very, very, uh, and very numerous. There are many accounts. There are literally over a hundred book-length accounts that have come from spirits working through their mediums over the last 150 years, and, uh, and, and the largest right. percent comes from Britain, incidentally. Because I think that's excellent that. You know, not only are these people determined and distanced by geography, but also by culture and in some cases language. 
Yep. That's great because then to piece all of that together, and if there's correlations within that information, then you have to start thinking, wow, there's something to this. Yeah, that's so, exactly right, yeah. Gavin. How would the world change if the great majority of its citizens came to believe as you? Would it be a better world? <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's that's a great question. Uh, I recently wrote a paper uh, listing 26 ways in which the world would be better if people came to believe in an afterworld in the way in the way that these mediums describe it. I don't like to think uh, I I don't like to speak of, of of it as the way I think of the world to come to be because of course I don't have any uh, of these paranormal abilities. I'm not a seer, I'm not a medium, but I'm just a great collector of information from people who are. So these are not my accounts. I'm just a guy who synthesizes them all and puts them into a book for people to appreciate and learn from. Now, that is a background. I'm, I'm a little afraid of, of, of just one ideology, but I do like the, the notion of the world knowing about this literature because the world to come is so much more attractive and plausible in this literature than it is in any of the religions that the people of the world are basically condemned if they are people of deep faith are condemned to take very seriously and we know that there's a great deal of emphasis on heaven and hell for example in in the christian tradition there's the same kind of emphasis uh, in islam so you have the two largest religions of the world all speaking of the possibility not only the possibility but of the certainty in many instances depending on the individual of eternal hell of a god who condemns large segments of the population to an eternal hell. Now, to believe in such a thing, in my opinion, really calls into question the nature of the creator, the nature yeah. of God. What kind of a God would, would do that to his, to his very frail, fallible creatures, no matter how messed up their lives were? Eternity? That's a long time that you would want to perhaps introduce some kind of punishment or some kind of roughly unpleasant educational process for such souls, that's another matter. But eternal punishment, that is simply, that, that belief drives countless tens of millions of people away from religion uh, because it makes of God a monster. C.S. Lewis called a cosmic sadist. We don't want to deal with a God like that. In fact, if that were the way God was, that's the last place I would want to hang out with him. I mean, I would not want to go to what he calls heaven because I would be living under under the helm of a monster. And so people who are saddled with that conviction are frightened of the world to come, are turned off from any kind of belief in an afterlife because they don't make sense. That leaves them to that leads them to materialism. It leads them to a point of view which that uh, nihilistic, you know, there's yeah. no point to this. To, the, to our lives on earth. It's just one lucky accident that we even happen to be here. There's no purpose given to us. We're here for a few years, we're gone, and that's the end of us. I mean, to look forward to nothingness is not a very happy way to live. To look forward to some sort of meaningful follow-through from the lives that we live here, from the habits that we develop into a world that is meaningful uh, and is intended to be meaningful by the cosmic creator, that's a completely, that gives us a completely different feel about where we are right now in this world and what's important to do. That's just yep. one of the reasons that I think uh, it would be much superior to believe in, in a world like these mediums and spirits describe as opposed to 
any other uh, alternative. And there are many other reasons too. For example, I would say this, just give one example. If people were, if they, if they were more confident that there was a meaningful afterlife to follow this world, would all of those elderly citizens just months away from death spend their fortune, what all of their savings on, on an effort to live just two more months or weeks or even days in a hospital because there's nothing to follow. So, you know, any kind of life, no matter how little quality it has, hang on to it, spend everything on it. If you have a confident conviction that there is a meaningful and happy life to follow, you're not going to waste all that money and take it away from your relatives. That's just one one other way you can look at it. There are many, many reasons for, for thinking that this confident belief in a meaningful, plausible afterlife is a very good thing for individuals and for the world at large. We will be right back after these important messages. I've never met a dead person I didn't like is the extraordinary travels of a young, alone, and broke psychic in the highly anticipated new book from internationally renowned psychic, medium, medical intuitive, and best-selling author Sherry Dillard. Critics have described I've never met a dead person I didn't like as an engrossing memoir, an empowering story of how a broken girl came to accept her psychic gift, a refreshing and fun read. I've Never Met a Dead Person I Didn't Like is available through Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. How far would you go to protect the children in your care? Nyla's Babies is the terrifying, chilling book from Jack Simonson, in which a young nanny battles an ancient demon for the souls of the twin babies in her care. Critics have heralded Nyla's Babies as an impressive and vivid imagined story, compelling and devilishly spooky, shocking and haunting. Nyla's Babies is available on Amazon, Kindle or wherever books are sold. Visit CosmicEgg-Books.com for more on Nyla's Babies. Sixth books will take you to other worlds, haunt you, open your mind, and push you far beyond the veil of the unknown. Sixth Books is a leading publisher of books on the body, mind, and spirit, the paranormal, consciousness, ancient wisdom, and the afterlife. Explore today, learn today, open your mind today, read today. Visit sixth-books.com today. The world as you know it is about to change. Do you wish for more paranormal and spiritual content? The Paranormal Chronicles magazine is a free digital magazine crammed with the very best in paranormal and spiritual articles and features. No sign-up, no subscription, just free reading and knowledge for you. Read today at www.theparanormalchronicles.com forward slash magazine. The International Chart Topping Haunted Horror of Haverford West has been described as terrifyingly real a must read shocking and chilling brilliance genuinely worrying utterly frightening don't read before bed described as one of the spookiest writers out there best-selling author gl davies presents haunted horror of haverford west the true paranormal account that is shocking the world dare you enter dare you read haunted 
Horror of Haverford West is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, and wherever books are sold. Pray you never have to live there. And the reviews on Amazon are consistently positive, okay? But occasionally some people feel severely challenged. Now, I think I understand why, but tell our listeners, why do you suppose this is? Why do people feel so challenged by what you've written? Because the accounts almost unanimously point to what Hindus and Buddhists call a law of karma. And there's also a reference in the in the New Testament to reaping what one sows. This is a world this is a worldview you get from reading these accounts, which which says in effect, you need to live life wisely, virtuously. You need to to be what we would simply call a good person. You, you're not going to get away with cruelty, with laziness, with whatever vice you want to name. There is a price to pay for these kinds of mistakes. And there are rewards for wise and generous and self-sacrificing living. This sense of accountability that one gets, and that's the key word, the sense of accountability that one gets from reading these sources seems to me to provide an incentive for good and wise living as opposed to sloppy, careless, lazy living. Uh, so all I can say is that, that you will be challenged if you read this literature to live a better life. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I've had so many people tell me that life suddenly became meaningful, that it all began to make sense. And now they feel that they will be, in some sense, rewarded for virtuous living. And and we need to believe that because we are people who, who live and need, uh, uh, live by and need incentives. And so there's nothing quite like a meaningful afterlife that will give you an incentive for a wise way or a wise pattern of living in this world right here and now. All people in the world, regardless of religion and culture, can go into like a afterlife. It's not a specific afterlife. It is just one afterlife. It's a great question. There is nothing about this literature that points to any one particular religion or any one particular belief system that's going to take you into uh, a, a happy uh, ending uh, after death. For example, Christians and Muslims don't have some sort of head start on the rest of us. The only thing that leads to a good starting place in the afterlife, and I say starting place because the will is free and we continue to evolve over there too, is the the good habits that we, we build over here. Uh, and, and good habits don't necessarily come from religion. Good habits come from a wise philosophy of life, among other things. There are good atheists, and a good atheist has nothing to fear, according to the accounts that we read at death. God is not some you know, puny person with an outsized ego who needs to be recognized or he's going to or punish us if we don't recognize him. That's just not the way, that's not what comes across from these accounts. What comes across is just decent, good living patterns, which lead to the kind of afterlife that all of us would want, something that's meaningful, that is pleasant, and is invigorating, 
exciting and uh, and prospering for those of us who decide to carry on over there in ways that uh, bring further and deeper happiness. And there are all kinds of descriptions of that world which are quite wonderful. And I would answer that your question by saying that no, there isn't just one kind of uh, heaven or hell experience, one kind of worldview that comes from whatever religion you want to pick, but there is this generalized, universalizable description of the world to come, which opens up to people of very different beliefs as what the only thing that is really required is is simply good living habits. And, and that's a good way to be. So even people who believe in an afterlife, they usually assume that we don't fully know its nature. Right. You seem to know quite a bit about it from your research. Are we better off knowing about it or would it be better to leave the subject a mystery? It's interesting because John Calvin, um, 500 years ago, said that it is better to leave it a mystery because uh, Jesus himself had so little to say about it. Jesus, in fact, does not go into any great detail about it, as we know if we've read the the Gospels. Calvin thought uh, that it was better to follow that example. And I've always wondered about that. Maybe if we knew too much about the afterlife, if we had it painted for us in any great detail, we might it might be natural for uh, for human beings to to try to game the system, as we would say, to figure out, oh, this is exactly what we need to do to get from here to there. So I think it's good to to have general patterns available to us, and we get those from comparing these seven accounts in the book to each other, without knowing uh, any what happens over there in any great great detail. Let me put it this way: I think I know generally speaking, what the next world is going to be like. But I don't know what it's going to be like for me. I really yeah. don't know how to judge my own character in the very last analysis. Am I one of God's angels? I'm not at all sure about that. I've made a few mistakes in my life, and I've wondered if there are other mistakes that, that I'm not even particularly aware of that, that I need to confront when I get over there. It, I have no doubt that um, that the afterworld will provide a, a very interesting uh, learning experience for all of us. So, yeah, we want information enough to note that there is such a place, uh, that there is such a conclusion to life, but we don't know, we don't want to know exactly how it's going to be for us. Let me put it that way. I think that that would be a very unhealthy thing for us to to feel. It's also possible that if we knew too much about the afterworld, it might become so attractive to us that we, we, we would be tempted to suicide so we'd get over there quicker. Let that me just is say, a very, very valuable point, yes. It is. Let me just say that all of these all of these uh, accounts warn against suicide. Uh, it's true that that is a way to hurry up your exit from this planet, but what awaits the suicide is not attractive. And I'm not talking about eternal punishment. There's nothing like that. But there is a great deal of unhappiness, at least in the short run, for the suicide. It is not a wise move to make. We're warned against it in almost all of these 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 revelations from the other side. But it is a good point to consider, isn't it? Most definitely. I think also the level of mystery. Now, you could go on every radio show on the planet and tell everyone exactly how it is and how it's going to be 
and you could be right but at the end of the day we want to live our lives naturally we want to live them in a, a natural but good way right. in a productive exactly. and focused way we don't want to force it no. you know we don't want to try and force being good because we think that's the answer you know exactly. right? we're trying to be we're trying to be a teacher's pet to a higher being right. with that's our own well put. With, with our own motives in place like oh if i'm really good i'm, I'm i've got a ticket to the vip right. section right. Exactly. And I think, you know, if people want to know more, they'll read your book. If they want to know more, they'll they'll read your book and do more study. The message is lead a good life, lead right. a productive life. You've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. And hopefully we'll get, you know, we'll get tickets in. And if not, right. what happens if we don't go to the afterlife? What's, what's next in store for us? There appears to be an afterlife for everyone, but there are many different levels. Uh, again, it depends on your character. Well, there are names for the for the darker realms over there, um, the realm of the unprogressed or the shadowlands, and other um, words that are used to describe these darker worlds where people who would be because of their habits, because of the kind of character that they've developed in this world. These are the places they're going to be naturally gravitating to. These are not light-filled worlds where uh, there are uh, saintly beings who you can befriend and who will befriend you. You're not going to be attracted to that kind of person any more than you uh, are were or, uh, on this planet. Yeah. You, you, you hang around with what we would call dark people. You have bad habits. You're you have your addictions and you nurse your addictions and you love your addictions. And you really don't make any effort to get out of them or to be better or to get well or to get help. People like that don't end up going to one of these light-filled realms immediately. Now, they're going to be gravitating toward the kind of dimension or world or subworld where they will be uh, with people like their own kind, uh, of their own kind, and they will feel comfortable there. They won't be particularly happy over there, but they will at least feel comfortable, more comfortable than they would be if they'd been forced fed up into the realms of light where a different kind of person, a person of good character, of advanced character, is going to find himself naturally happy. So there are these various levels uh, in the afterlife. One of the accounts uh, specifies 21 of them. All right, I don't take that number seriously, but it gets at the very many different kinds of experiences that one that are available depending on the kind of character that we built over here in the world. In the afterword of the afterlife unveiled, you put on your philosophical hat and present evidence directed against physicalism. I hope I said that right. Physicalism. Yep. Physicalism, that's right. The philosophy that denies the reality of soul, afterlife, spiritual beings, and a spiritual world. Right. Can you summarize your argument on this for our listeners? Yeah. Uh, number one, if there is no afterworld, if the only things we have uh, are physical things, if we are physical beings uh, without soul, uh, then obviously uh, we we become nothing at death. Our brains uh, are, according to physicalism, there is no soul that has the brain as an instrument, but the brain is all there is. And so when we die, according to physicalism, that's just the end of us. If we are of the perspective that, that I have and that I share in this book and that all of the spirits who tell us about their world espouse, then the soul, that is to say the intrinsic person that we are, the self, is a, is a non-physical being 
and it's who we essentially are, working through our bodies as its instrument. The brain, particularly the most important part of the soul's instrument. As long as we are connected to the these instruments, uh, we're very much dependent upon them for a quality life. If there's something that goes wrong with the brain, then so the soul is not going to be harmed, but it will not be able to express itself because the because the instrument doesn't work. It's like it's like trying to send a message through a computer that has a virus. There's nothing yeah. wrong with the message sender. There's nothing wrong with you or me, but there's something wrong with the instrument, and we can't get our message out to the person we're trying to reach. And so it might seem that there's something wrong with us. So if, let me put it this way, there is no soul. If there's, if the only thing we are is this physical being and this physical brain, then how can we account for all of the extraordinary experiences that are uh, available to us? And I'm talking not only about mediumistic uh, experience, but deathbed visions, the near-death experience, yeah. apparitions, or, or what we call ghost, poltergeist phenomena, reincarnation cases, memories of little children of previous lives, apparently, or what we call instrumental transcommunication or terminal lucidity. All of these various uh, evidences are unexplainable, are completely inexplicable if there is no such thing as the soul or the spirit, or the self within each one of us. All of this is just total nonsense if physicalism is true. The other consideration, th this is the evidential uh, argument, incidentally, uh, Gavin, but there's something yeah. else as well, and that is when we analyze our own experience very closely, we realize that um, our thoughts, our feelings, are, are not reducible to physical description. The thought uh, that I... I'm having right now or the the love that I feel for my wife or the anger that I sometimes feel over a tardy student these feelings are are not to the left or right of anything uh, they don't have any weight they don't have any volume all of the physical descriptors the words we use to describe physical objects don't make any sense and these feelings that I'm describing are the essential part of us the face that we see in the mirror is not the essential part of us. It's the feelings and the ideas that we have that is essential. And those feelings and ideas are not representable by physical descriptors. And I think that's that's the philosophical argument that, I, that I've always used against uh, the physicalist. I'm very interested to ask this question, right? How was your book received by your academic colleagues? A lot of them. And uh, I suspect if they were honest, would just call it, oh, hey, Betty's into pseudoscience. Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I've had one colleague tell me that just straight out. You know, you're doing pseudoscience. Why should I take you seriously? These people, of course, have never read any of my books. They just know, they think they know, because science of a particular type, I would call it scientific materialism, or what one of my colleagues call fundamaterialism, kind of fundamentalist materialism. This kind of philosophy rules in academic um, settings, unfortunately. It's simply regarded as smart to be, quote, scientific. And by scientific, they generally mean materialistic. Our psychology departments are rife with that kind of thinking. And it's amazing that even in philosophy and religious studies departments, and I'm in one of those, tends to genuflect towards this kind of worldview. For a, a colleague to come along and say, look, 
not only do I not take this worldview seriously, I can find very strong evidence against it. You want to look at it? Can I share it with you? No, they don't want to know about it because <laughs> they would lose self-respect. They would lose the respect of their colleagues if it became known that they really believed in an afterworld and that they even thought they knew something about what to expect. That would not be something that most academics would want to admit to. Now, I think a lot of academics are religious people, but they they even want typically to hide that fact from their students or their colleagues. It's private, and I think they're kind of embarrassed about being something that's so, quote, unscientific. So, no, I don't have many, let's put it this way, friends uh, among my colleagues because I am regarded as sort of a loose cannon, somebody who, who basically, in, an, in his own world, they have no idea that I'm not in my own world. I'm in a huge world that comes from all kinds of research that they know nothing about and show no interest in whatsoever. A very successful loose cannon, may I add, um, <laughs> you know, ju judging by the amount of copies sold and its influence across the world, because you're bringing together all this knowledge, but it's it's knowledge that we can use to have a better life. I have an argument, you know, I'm in the hauntings business, right? And I often get challenged mm -hmm. and I say there isn't a person alive that knows all the intricacies of time, space, the universe and the human mind. Right. And every day we learn something new. Mm -hmm. that opens more doors new questions was announced yesterday i believe that the milky wave is actually warped our whole point of our existence is about learning and the whole afterlife part is a huge part of that to your academic colleague mr betty has written an amazing book give it a read it might change your life so you've published more recently two other books both novels are they related to your books on the afterlife if so can you tell us how yeah they they are um a book that was published about a year ago, it was a book that I wrote for young people. It's called Ghost Boy. And um, it's it's a book, it's not a typical ghost story in the sense that most young kids want to read. They, uh, most kids, there are a lot, there's so much, there's so many ghost stories out there. And they take about two hours to read and they're exciting and a kid gets, you know, pumped up and excited and, and his hair stands up on end for a few minutes and then the book is forgotten. This is a very serious book. It is written for a young audience. It's written in a language and in and, and a kind of a style that's fun and that's youthful, but it's about it's about a very serious subject. It's about a clairvoyant kid, a seventh grader who who sees people that no one else can see, his friends cannot see. When he confides in his best friend, it's not long before smartphones start lighting up with text messages and the air crackles with gossip, and he becomes known as the ghost boy. Not because he's a ghost, but because he sees ghosts. And he lives with one ghost in particular, with a girl his same age, who is his helper and who is a kind of a guide to him. Abby is her name. And she shows up uh, when he's in danger or about to do something wrong. And she, she somehow guides him. And, uh, and, and he's grown very fond of her. And the story is about who is this girl? What is this relationship between this clairvoyant kid, this little boy, this boy, he's actually he's in the seventh grade, and this girl who appears to be of a similar age, between 12 and 13. It's a kind of a, a detective story as we gradually learn more and more about 
who they are and what their relationship is. And it's a very surprising ending that I'm not going to tell anybody here because the whole point is to discover it. It has a more serious uh, side of it as well because large numbers of our children are uh, have imaginary playmates or imaginary friends. Yeah. I, I don't know if you are aware of how many uh, kids who are two, three, four, five years old are playing with spiritual beings, are playing with apparitions or ghosts that nobody else can see, but they can see with absolute clarity and they appear to be as real as their earthside friends and their parents. There are, the figures range, this astounded me, from 37 to 70% of our children have known, at least for a while, an imaginary friend of that order. Uh, and I don't know if you had one, Gavin, when you were a child, if you can remember back playing Yeah, with... I did. And okay. it was a ghost. And it was yeah. a ghost because other people saw it. And they could see the ghost. Okay, that's unusual. For the most part, the parents can't see the ghost, but the kid is busily talking away and having a great time with his best friend, which they, which psychologists call imaginary. I don't think they are at all imaginary. I think they're very real, and I think they're they've come down to earth probably because they were little children who got whose lives were snipped off very early, and they've come down to enjoy the earth experience that they had missed and that they would have had if they had been allowed to live. And not only do they profit from the experience, but of course the lonely kid who doesn't have a playmate is also profiting from the experience of having a friend who's always on call. So my sense is that from studying this literature, from talking to, actually I interviewed six people over the last year, five of them very elderly, all of whom said, Yes, I did. I remember having, I remember vividly having an imaginary friend, as they're called. I didn't think for one minute that they were imagined. They were very real at the time, and to this very day, I think they were real. And so uh, this book is about a kid who has that kind of talent or that kind of ability. One other thing I should tell you is that one of my colleagues, now this is a colleague, you know, for the most part, who might think of what I do as, uh, as Hocus Pocus, but she happened to have a child who is presently busily engaged, frequently enjoying a so-called imaginary playmate, and her mind is blown, okay? She watches yeah. her child playing and having a great time talking to and having all kinds of a relationship with somebody she can't see. She can't help but take it seriously. The kid is absolutely sure that, this, uh, that his playmate is as real as anybody else who shows up. So that's what this book is about, Ghost Boy. And Ghost Boy, it's an excellent read as well, and that's available right now. And if, if you're out there listening, pick up The Afterlife Unveiled and Ghost Boy. I think you'll be very surprised that you know there are connections between them. You also have a third book as well. Ah, yeah. The, uh, this is a book that was uh, published just two months ago, and it's on a completely different subject. It's called The War for Islam. I'm just going to read a description of it um, Please do. Uh, from, Thank you. From the, from the back cover, because it's it's hard to summarize, but it's it's about a problem that you Brits are really up against all, all every day of your lives. Uh, Americans much less so, but still in all, it's a problem that the planet is going to have to deal with, and the solution to it is going to have to come from Muslims. And this is this is the way it's described on the back cover: Islamist fanatics 
covering the globe are killing, burning, and bombing in an extravagant display of well-coordinated force designated to terrorize humanity out of its godless slumber. But two brilliant Muslim women are determined to save their religion from its counterfeit, supported by the non-Muslim religion professor, hey, sounds like me, they both <laughs> love. Their weapons aren't guns and bombs, but ideas and inspired brave leadership. Now, this is a call to the Muslims of the world to beat back this planetary plague that now goes by the name of extremist Islamism. And these Islamists are, are firm believers that, that Allah is calling them to spread the true gospel, the true religion around the world at whatever cost necessary. And that includes violence and includes suicide bombing and all the rest. This is a plague that the world cannot afford. And we can, we can sit back as non-Muslims and, and, and point out the obvious deficits from that kind of thinking. But if this is ever going to heal, it's going to have to come from other Muslims, the huge majority, incidentally, who rise up against this and say, this is not our religion. They have to come forward and condemn it over and over again, and there's not enough of this being done on our planet. This is a call to Muslim readers to get serious about taking back their religion from these counterfeiters. What does this have to do with, uh, with the paranormal? Uh, let, let me put it to you this way. Islam is the most paranormal religion on the planet, and this is the reason for it. Muslim, Muslims believe that the religion came down from Allah through the angel Gabriel, through Muhammad, to us. Muhammad, looked at in this way, is one of the world's greatest and certainly the most influential medium the world has ever seen. And he is the medium between God and the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel, incidentally, is what we call a control. That is to say, uh, he is an, uh, an other side medium. God is using these two mediums, the angel Gabriel, Muhammad, to get his message across to the world. This is what Muslims believe. They don't call Muhammad a medium, but boy, he is one of the most famous and most influential who ever lived. He yeah. simply opens his mind to this information coming from the spirit world, and it becomes written down in what we call the Quran. That's about as, that's about as paranormal as you can get. In the other sense, in another way, it's a very paranormal religion because they pray five times a day. Okay, that's the ideal. Not all Muslims do. Most don't, as a matter of fact. But those who are most serious about the religion do. They practice it. They pray to God five times a day. Now, look at prayer. What is prayer? It's it's something that's very paranormal. It, it involves not screaming out to God so that God, with his physical ears, can hear what we scream out with our physical voice. No, it's a telepathic communication between our world and God's world. And that's the way it's regarded universally. Prayer, by its very nature, is a paranormal phenomenon. And so this is a religion that puts more emphasis on prayer than any other one that I'm aware of and, and demands of its truest followers to do it, to use it five times a day. So we have uh, every reason to think of this book as playing with and taking very seriously philosophical idea, uh, rather paranormal ideas as the backdrop for all of the adventure that one finds in this novel. I remember missing a train in a Welsh town called Carmarthen very late one Sunday night. Mm -hmm. And I had, to, I had to grab a taxi. And the gentleman, he was from the Middle East. 
and he migrated over to the UK. Okay. And I couldn't help but ask, you know, once somebody starts talking, <laughs> I know. I, I don't care where you're from on the planet. I don't care what language or faith or color. I don't care. I will start talking to you. And he's asking what I did. So then I said about, you know, I'm involved with a paranormal and his insight into the jinn phenomenon, which you oh, know, our ghosts, yeah. our demons. Right. It was so rich and it was such, it was like me and you talking about how to get rid of rodents or rats or wasps. <laughs> There's a defined procedure for how to get rid of gin. And he was right. telling me that, and he was very passionate about it. And he was telling me that this gin was attracted to his like five-year-old niece and how would they have to go through all these, all these procedures and all to remove it. And it was fascinating. And all the cultures across the world, we have the same beliefs in so many things. We just we give do. it different labels, different names. We do. In our own world, we, we speak of, of earthbound spirits. And a jinn would be the closest equivalent to an earthbound spirit. An earthbound spirit is a spirit who, who dies and finds himself extremely uncomfortable in the world to come and is gravitated back, it finds himself gravitating back to this world, usually because he has an addiction. He's attracted to an earthling who has a similar condition, uh, addiction, and they and 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 the uh, and the earthbound spirit attaches himself to one of our friends or somebody who's addicted and and makes the addiction even more difficult to free. But the gin phenomenon is very much like that. You're quite right. Incidentally, your listeners may not know what a gin is. It's spelled J-I-N-N typically. And uh, Gavin, you would describe a jinn as basically a kind of a ghostly uh, figure by our standards, a ghostly figure, not by theirs, who lives in our world, who lives on the planet, but lives invisibly by our standards. We can't see these jinn, but they're all around us. And some are good, some are bad. Um, some go to paradise, uh, like the best of us, and others go to the fire or hell because they're bad jinn. So it's interesting that they are described by Muslims as made of fire, unlike earthlings who are made of clay, or unlike angels who are made of light. So we each have our metaphysical identity, and, and jinn are, again, what we would call earthbound spirits. Uh, it's a little different when we speak of earthbound spirits in our own world. We think of people who have cursed themselves to come back to earth because of their addictions, whereas a jinn is not necessarily cursed in that way, not at all. I'm glad you brought that up, though. That's something I don't go into in my novel, but it's certainly very much a part of, uh, of, of, uh, of you might say, Middle Eastern culture. And uh, I don't know that, that many American or uh, uh, many American Muslims believe in jinn or take it too seriously. But in uh, the Middle East, they're taken very seriously. You're quite right. If our taxi driver should be listening now, I don't know if he will be. But thank you so much for such an amazing conversation. He was telling me that they're very open to the idea of like aliens and life on other planets. And it right. just blew my mind. It was fascinating. So he's yeah. written three books, The Afterlife Unveiled. Ghost Boy and the War for Islam. Mr. Stafford Betty is one of the top knowledges on the planet when it comes to this kind of stuff. And you have to read his book. I've got a very quick question for you before we round this up. Have you ever had a paranormal experience that really befuddled you where you were like, whoa, what just happened? Yeah, I have. Um, I've had two. They, they're not particularly striking, but I remember as a boy when I was 17, I made a religious retreat and it had been extremely intense and I had gone into depths that were not characteristic of me at the time. And I remember on the bus ride back home from the retreat center to to my home, and there are a lot of rambunctious young 
boys my own age yeah. having a good time on a bus. Okay, And I was sitting there feeling distinctly that the world that I was living in right now in that bus was not the real world and that I'd been someplace that was real. And it was like a mystical experience that I had. And so that was that was one of them. The other one was uh, of the same order, just a very strange sense that the world that we're living in here is not the real world, but there's a much more real world on the other side or just out of reach uh, that, that most people don't know anything about and have no experience of. But when it comes to the kinds of mediumistic experiences that I've studied so much, I have no experience of that whatsoever, Gavin. And I think that's very good because if I did, I might I might have a too strong a preference to my particular worldview. I wouldn't be as good a synthesizer of other people's points of view on the subject. So I'm happy to say that, uh, you know, I, I'm not blessed with a paranormal uh, mind. And, and I bet you are, though, Gavin. Is that correct? Not in the slightest. I really? I have no gifts or abilities that I am aware of. I'm right. like you. I'm interested. Uh -huh. It started off when I was younger collecting ghost stories, listening, yes. collecting them. Before you know it, you're investigating right. you know, a case of a woman in Pembroke Dark who's been allegedly assaulted sexually by demons and ghosts and, you know, interviewing people around hauntings. And, and, but I don't have any gifts or abilities. And right. I'm like you. I like investigating and recording and, right. and just presenting it to everyone else. And right. if you get it, great. If you don't like it, send me an email. I don't like people <laughs> who just say, things, oh, that's rubbish. <laughs> give me an argument you know give me an argument what right. what, what is your belief based on so right. i'm a huge fan as you can tell and i'm thrilled to have you on this show I'm it's a been huge great fan. gavin thank you so much for having I'm, me it's... no thank you anytime you come back whenever you want you can come back every week now the afterlife unveiled right is is a fantastic book that's not just me saying that the sales figures the bestsellers all these labels is, is international bestseller critically acclaimed What's next for you? Will we ever get further research for the afterlife unveiled? Will there be a sequel? Would you have different plans? Right. Uh, actually, I've already written two other sequels uh, to this book, and it's, it's. I'm glad you asked about that. That a book I wrote published. It would be three years later. It was a follow-up to the afterlife unveiled. It's published by uh, White Crow. It's called when. Uh, it's it's what is the the final name of that book? Um, uh, yeah, Heaven and Hell Unveiled is the name of that book. It goes into much greater detail and it organizes the material topically rather than by mediums, one chapter per medium. It looks at all of this stuff, brings it together, and topically presents it in something like 16 chapters. That book is so well, especially for White Crow. It's, it's quite a few thousands of books, but it, it doesn't have the popularity of the first book that we've been discussing. The other book that I'm particularly proud of is a book that logically I should have written first, but I didn't know, I didn't know how to do it. It's called When Did You Ever Become Less by Dying? Afterlife, yeah. the Evidence. And it presents in nine chapters the various types of evidence for the, for the actuality of an afterlife. It's not particularly concerned with the nature of the afterlife, but for the evidence that, that points to its reality. And when did you ever become less by dying? That title comes from a poem by Rumi. I, I like it. So um, that that if you're interested in in, in in a more scientific approach, how do I know that there's any such thing as an afterlife? If you read this book here, I can almost promise you that you will at least take the possibility 
very, very seriously because the evidence for it is simply, in my view, overwhelming. Uh, I don't have any doubt. I think the afterlife's reality has been proven. The question for me remains, what is it really like? You know, uh, how precise are my accounts of it? I know that they're not particularly precise. They're more generalizable. But first of all, there's the evidence for it. And secondly, there's the nature of it. And those are what these three books deal with. Fantastic. Now, there's a lot of people out there listening. Is there anywhere they can contact you? You know, I've just been, I've just never gotten around to creating a website. All they have to do is to email me. I, I receive a lot of email and I have enough, usually make enough time to deal with each one of them at just sbetty at csub.edu. CSUB is California State University Bakersfield. That's, that's where I work and .edu. Uh, sbetty is is as simple as that. Just uh, let me hear from you, and and I'd I'd be delighted to hear from you. Actually, I think I'm... you're going to get a lot of response to that. I think you're going to get quite a few people from all over the world, particularly here in Pembrokeshire, getting yep. in touch with you to ask you some questions. Whatever you do out there, people, read the Afterlife Unveiled. I I can't strongly recommend that enough. So Stafford, thank you so much for your time. Would you like to leave our listeners with a final thought? Life doesn't end here. We move into a world that is every bit as interesting, if not more interesting than the one we leave behind when when we so-called die. And it's not as if we are sort of assigned a position when we die, dependent depending on our our character. The character only determines where we start the beginning of the life to come. We have free wills. We have our character is intact are very much ourselves. We have bodies. They're not physical bodies. They're astral bodies. We would call them astral bodies. And we carry on from there. We continue on as ourselves. We have adventures over there. We have challenges. We're given jobs to do. It's a fascinating world, and we'll meet fascinating people. I would, I would say, clean up your life. You know, are you reading good literature, or are you lazy? Uh, are you good-for-nothing selfniks? You know, <laughs> All I can say is that every every incentive I, I I find from the study of this literature impels me to do my very best, to be a good servant to whomever I come into contact with. It inspires me to be the best being that I can be, and I encourage all of you to do that as well. It's the only way to live life and be happy. You are a remarkable man. Thank you so much for your very, very precious and valuable time. I'm sure we'll have you back on. Stafford... Thank you so very much for your time. Thank you very much, Gavin, for giving me the chance to speak. There we have it. Stafford Betty is a most remarkable man that has dedicated his life to offer us the answers. I highly recommend his work. The Afterlife Unveiled is a highly regarded and influential bestseller that may change your life. Plus, Ghost Boy and the War for Islam are great books in their own rights written in Stafford's wonderful way. If you'd like to ask Stafford further questions regarding this interview, then you can email him at sbetty, that's S-B-E-T-T-Y, at csub, that's C-S-U-B, dot E-D-U. That's sbetty at csub, dot E-D-U. He makes time to email everyone back, so keep in touch. And when you read your afterlife and veil, drop him a line to tell him what you thought of it. If you're looking for more paranormal content, then enjoy your free, yes, I said free, digital paranormal magazine that over 7,000 readers say is their leading source for paranormal and spiritual content. Visit 
www.theparanormalchronicles.com forward slash magazine for your free, no sign up, no nonsense magazine. Free issues already there for you to delve into with articles and features on ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, spirituality, paganism, hauntings and so much more. Read your free digital magazine now and visit www.theparanormalchronicles.com forward slash magazine. I love giving you free stuff. Talking of which, don't forget to follow for a chance to win a cool paranormal book in our monthly series giveaway. One lucky follower can win a book every month. So download and enjoy the archives and share with your friends and family that you think might enjoy this. Let me leave you with this. Stafford talked tonight about suicide and please know that your life is important. We appreciate and value you for joining us on our adventure into the unknown. Know that you matter. People care for you. And there are people out there you can talk to if you ever struggle. We need you on our journey as together we explore the unknown. So please keep safe and always remember your life is important. As Rumi said, do not feel lonely. The entire universe is inside you. Sleep well. <laughs>